For March 30th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 613. Charles, we're going to lose our accreditation. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like a, a team of mutants. That's right. We're a team of uh, people with a, with a gene that's been activated, a random mutation uh, that allows us to be smart and funny, which no one else has. No one else on the entire internet is either smart or uh, funny. The internet right now is just depressing, and we're we're the only bright spot on it. So you have come to the right place, my friends, and we are very, very glad to have you here uh, to discuss a film uh, that we all watched this week because we decided we were going to. Um, so listen... What has happened is this. We got to the end of Netflix. Or not not, uh, not Netflix, I guess. HBO now. Streaming in general. We got to the end. We've all been home so long that there's nothing more to stream. And what do you do when there's nothing more to stream? Why, you stream X-Men Dark Phoenix. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we did this week. We spent two hours of our actual lives, or in Pete's case, four hours, four hours. of his actual life <laughs> watching Sansa Stark as Jean Grey uh, doing, um, uh, you know, uh, do, doing spacey floaty uh, alien pew 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 pow pow fights um, and, uh, and lifting a train in the air. Spoiler alert for X-Men... Dark Phoenix, and so we're we're this film is available to you. Uh, it's on. <laughs> what that is the highest praise that's going to be on the poster. This film is available to you. Overthinkingit.com. <laughs> is that damning with faint praise, or is that praise? Is that praising it sincerely? I think it's a sales pitch, man. <laughs> this is a movie you can watch. You might have to pay money. I sure did. But you know what? I'm not going to say it's worth it. But it is really the perfect movie for the current moment uh, for all sorts of great reasons, mostly having to do with it being vaguely depressing but utterly diverting for a particular period of time. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. 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 Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, – so X-Men Dark Phoenix, which I, I am poised to argue later is, is not an X-Men movie at all. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to uh, discuss this film. It's on HBO if you want to stream it um, before you listen to it. I, I would argue that it's not necessary that you watch the film before you listen to our yeah. discussion and that yeah, you will not, not lose anything um, nope. from the film. Uh, there is one really good scene in this movie that I really enjoyed. The rest of it I could throw in front of a train. Uh, probably a train that's going down the street and into a building. Uh, it- <laughs> and then hit it with a blast of psychic energy. That's right. So much psychic energy blast. There's a lot of train. This actually is a movie about mass transit. Yes. Uh, and only, this is a psychosexual fantasy where Magneto pulls the subway out of the of the bello, the belly of the earth and rams it across the traffic jam in New York City. Can, can as we talk about how for their vanity? Can we talk about how there's not a subway? At uh, Fifth Avenue and 74th Street. <laughs> totally inaccurate. Come on. <laughs> All right. So, spoiler, spoiler alert for what it's worth for uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. And here to spoil it, Mark, can you tell us literally everything that happens <laughs> <laughs> now in X-Men Dark Phoenix, please? I will channel all of my psychic energy, and I will take some extra space psychic energy to try to do this. Okay. Um, you don't need to see this movie. The plot is is just kind of mad. It's a mess. There's no surprises, really, to it. And if you're roughly familiar with the X-Men mythos, you're probably aware of that uh, Jean Grey, the psychic it was a psychic mutant stuff uh, becomes Dark Phoenix, and she goes like supercharged and evil and does bad stuff and all this kind of stuff. That's you're kind doing of... a real disservice to this, Mark, because there's a lot that happens in this movie. <laughs> right? Yes, there is. Okay, so I'm going to start to sketch this out here, and you guys just feel free to jump in. Okay, like we get this important superhero a, backstory a, a stuff. Train, a train bursts yeah. through the ground. A yeah. train goes into a tunnel. A train is lifted high in the air, erect as it Correct. were. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> These things happen. Okay, we get an important, uh, you know, backstory for a superhero with all the childhood trauma. Jean Grey, uh, who can't control her psychic powers, kills her parents. 
uh, in her car accident, or so she thinks, um, and then it's taken away to the X school um, to become an X person, X man. Uh, flash forward back, to, flash forward to the future in the '90s. Uh, the only by the only '90s period thing about this movie is the fact that there's a space shuttle. Everything else, like the the time and setting, are virtually inconsequential. Um, they do have Black Hawk helicopters landing. There is there are Black Hawks that are down in this movie, mm-hmm. which I felt like was such a stretch. They could have just given someone a freaking flannel shirt and it would have been better. But no, right? It's like we get we get Black Hawk down. Sorry, continue. Yeah. continue. Okay, that's that's a, the great the sketch the comedy sketch about that is that like black black uh, blackhawks are like cool to do anything like man these blackhawks are down. <laughs> Flash forward to the future, the X Men go into space, space, space. So they, they rescue the space shuttle uh, astronauts from a, a mystical alien energy force. Um, and then Jean Grey gets hit with the alien force. They think she dies, but she, no, she absorbed the energy. She becomes the Dark Phoenix. Meanwhile, the X-Men themselves, they feud amongst each other. We've never seen that before, right? Uh, they're all angry at each other. Uh, uh, anyway, Jean Grey finds out that uh, what actually happened is that uh, Xavier blocked out the memory of the fact that her father, who couldn't handle Jean Grey's mutant, uh, uh, gave away uh, Jean Grey to Professor X and, and took her away. And then she confronts the father, and in her anger, she uses her psychic energy uh, and and kills uh, Mystique Raven, such as it were. Um, everybody's super mad about this, uh, uh, including Beast and as well as Magneto. Um, who uh, who is often his own little special island uh, that he got as his refuge for the mutants, um, and everybody is off to kill uh, to, to kill Jean Grey as the Dark Phoenix. Oh, there's all those aliens. Oh God, this is almost impossible to recap like this. There's shape shifting aliens that come uh, and uh, try are trying to steal Jean Grey's power because it's space power, and they need it to reconstitute their race or something like that. Um, uh, so there's you know people are, are after her. Um, let's see here. The, uh, the, the, the mutants decide to overcome their differences um, and fight the aliens instead of trying to kill uh, Dark Phoenix. Um, and then Jean Grey, as Dark Phoenix, uh, kind of overcomes all of her uh, trauma and stuff like that, uh, sacrifices herself to save the day. And everybody loves mutants again. Is that about right? All right, I'm, I'm going to give you it. That was that I was already my eyes were glazing over by the time that was over. But uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a briefer description of what happens in this movie. Right. Starting okay. with okay. a dream sequence. Right. So uh, alone, uh, listless. There's a breakfast table in an otherwise empty room with a young girl and violence. She's the center of her own attention. And then Professor X reads a lie aloud and the child tries to understand and tries to make him proud. But then the shades go down and it's in her head and she's in a painted room and she can't deny that there's something wrong. Right. Don't call me daughter. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I forgot the second part. Sorry. Um, so Jean Grey, uh, Professor X said, I have a story for you. Who you thought was your daddy was nothing but a, while you were sitting in the Xavier's home for gifted teenagers or whatever at age 13, your real daddy was living uh, in, I think, a Christian Bale movie or something. Sorry you didn't see him. I'm glad we talked. You're still alive. You're still alive. Uh, so I guess, yeah, the most 90s thing about this movie is that it's a Pearl Jam song uh, and that it's, it's that like, OK, 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 guys, OK, we got to get serious about this, right? Because the, okay. Here, okay. here's okay. the story of what okay, happens guys. in this movie. Okay, so there's a bunch of Groot aliens that live in a planet far away. Right? <laughs> they are Groot. They are definitely Groot. Yes, it was. They are shape shifting Groot. Not, not Groot. And then no. when 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 Groot uh, when Groot turns into um, Jessica Chastain, uh, Groot is briefly a White Walker from Game of Thrones. Did yes. you notice yes. that? Yes. So there's a bunch of Groot aliens, and the Nexus from Star Trek Generations destroys their planet, right? And so they go to Earth to find William Shatner, and they blunder into a bougie AF dinner party. And they find a whole host of very fit and ominous-looking people with, like, vague social social problems who are treating each other relatively poorly. Uh, they decide to body snatch those people and pick up their sass and shade, as well as their impeccable fashion sense. And, and they are attempting to seize control of the Star Trek nexus that destroyed their planet uh and by doing this then and by doing this they're sending a and a sort of uh bleach blonded jessica chastain to go emotionally manipulate a girl who of uncertain age because the time frames in this movie make no sense right like it's been 10 years since the last one or five and how old is everyone and professor x should be like 60 and we don't know um, it is definitely the way Xavier School for for you know gifted youngsters works in this um 
in this continuity is that it's like summer camp where the campers are 12 and the counselors are 13. You yes. Know? That, <laughs> that, Except they're all 25. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That like, yeah. uh, it doesn't, I, I can't totally, you know, it doesn't totally track for me, like who's supposed to be a teacher and like why they've, you know, done enough secondary education to, uh, or like post-secondary education to, you know, be qualified to teach in a school though, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe they have mutant, maybe like, uh, teaching is their mutant power. Maybe pedagogy is their, you know, uh, is their mutant power. Yes. Um, and, and like, this is not all the like, so I'm sorry, Pete, do do you want to finish before I jump in? Oh, sure. So actually, here's the thing. There are a bunch of really interesting conflicts in this movie, potentially, that there are conflicts that are set up where what's being negotiated is is, you know, feels a little bit unusual for a superhero movie. It doesn't feel like the conflicts that are happening are stock conflicts. For example, there is a big plot in the first maybe 40% of this movie that then utterly vanishes, which interrogates the concept of having, you know, it basically the whole Zordon ethos is called into question, which is like the world is in peril and we need to secure a team of teenagers with attitude, right? And this is like such a common strategy in comic book movies. And Jennifer Lawrence is in this movie mostly due to contractual obligation, but also to call into question the notion that it's appropriate for a private school to put its students, even those above the age of majority into harm's way, even for the benefit of others, right? And the idea is that Professor X has a pretty nuanced and kind of savvy, but also pretty uh, exploitative in certain degrees look at it, which is like the reason the X-Men exist, the reason that I take children from my school, my students, and I turn them into a commando group that I send on incredibly dangerous missions uh, with the guidance of merely people who are marginally older than they to accompany them. The counselors are 13. Yep. Exactly. Is that they create positive PR, which staves off the inevitable genocide that I fear is just around the corner if I do not turn you all into this sort of showpiece, right? Right? Like my strategy for preserving mutants and protecting them from being rounded up and putting into camps is creating a superhero team of mutants that gets a lot of good press and saves the day all the time. So people thinks of you think of you as good rather than bad. And then uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Here's another thing about this movie. None of the X-Men are ever named by their X-Men names. Right. Storm is like once, I think. Right. But like the word I don't think the word Magneto ha- is spoken once in this movie. Uh, Mystique is referred to as Raven. Right. Uh, Jean, of course, has never really had a cool name. I mean, I guess it's Phoenix, but not really. Um, Professor does it. No one calls him Professor X. Right. So it's like it's like Eric and like Xavier. And everybody's talking about uh, you know, Raven. Right. Is Mystique. She interrogates this by saying, like, even if that's your project. Right. Doesn't this seem like you're aggrandizing yourself and pursuing your own goals at the expense of the agency of the people who are supposed to be like graduating from some sort of educational experience here and moving on to take over their own lives? Charles, (laughs) we're going to Charles, we're going to lose our accreditation. Yes, yes. It's basically like everybody who goes to this college goes to grad school here and ends up a teaching assistant and none of us ever get real jobs. Right? Like what's happening? Oh, so it's, like, <laughs> it's like graduate school in that sense. Yeah, it is. It's basically like you're on the, and no one's tenure track either, right? Like it's just professor X is the only tenured professor at this entire place full of children. And, and, uh, and Jennifer Lawrence is like, yeah, that's pretty messed up. She also says very honestly, like maybe you shouldn't call it X-Men because it's a little bit gender retrograde. Although I feel like the, the, way this is sort of jabbed into him as an insult is like inappropriate for the stakes of what's being uh, talked about which is like the death of a child uh it's like you should rebrand your business to be more progressive also uh and it's like yeah but also you also almost killed one of your students uh, again right again uh yeah yeah so there's that's like one conflict that's being adjudicated in this movie which is abandoned sort of and then there's another conflict which is really interesting that's being adjudicated in this movie which is like um uh, the idea of like, uh, oh, how, how would I, how would I phrase it? Um, that, that, um, that you have Magneto who has a sort of, uh, separatist organization of mutants, right? And, uh, and the question is being posed as to like, what's the appropriate use of violence, 
Right. And so and so you go you have this sort of like um, journey, this sort of like child into adulthood Bildungsroman that the Phoenix goes on where she's she has these these violent and, and, and horrible feelings. Right. And then she goes around the world to try to find the right person who can explain to her what violence is for until she realizes at the end of the movie that she's now in a Disney movie. And it's for like sealing the portal and killing the aliens and saving the world and saving her family and 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 justice for Han. Right. And like that's what violence is for. Uh, but there's this sort of like journey that she's on where she she talks to different people. Uh, this, this of course, plot falls apart when she has a big conversation with Magneto about why he kills people, and he never once mentions the word Holocaust or Nazi, which are pretty important to why, why Magneto kills people. Right. Uh, um, but also, and then also, the, the other idea here is that is is a is a is a ethics question about psychological care and psychiatric care, which is if you had the power, if you had the ability to uh, wipe someone's uh, wipe the memory of a traumatic event from somebody's mind, they still knew that it happened, but it wasn't sort of present and active in their mind as like a living memory, right? And if you had the power to do that, and in doing so could diminish the symptoms of post traumatic stress disorders and and uh, post traumatic anxieties, right? If and it particularly hypothetically, if the person you're talking to has ma- has mental powers that could go wackadoo if they go into a fugue state related to their PTSD, right? Would you be justified and or obligated to put in these kinds of memory limiting measures, right? Which is a sort of like Professor X does this. And I would argue that he does it for like a clinically valid reason, albeit perhaps not a fully ethical one. And perhaps one that works makes more sense for a child than for an adult. And and so that's a whole other question is like, is it right to protect people from their trauma if you can do it? Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, which, if you yeah. had like, you know, I mean, just just speaking of the the if you had one shot or one opportunity <laughs> you know, to seize everything you've ever wanted yeah. uh, of trauma out of someone's head in one moment, would you <laughs> capture it or just just let it slip? I mean, the fact that this is the plot of Star Trek V is already probably an indication that we're on a long road on this one. Right? Like, it's like, I need my pain. It's what keeps me going. Um, so, yeah. So there's a and then there's the plot of like uh, of of can a young woman find guidance from a young man? Right. Or from a man, an older man, or does she need to find like a woman who's more of her own age to kind of lead her into adulthood? And then there's this I think the most interesting part of the movie is how it problematizes these these social narratives. And this is, I guess, Matt, what I think would go in the direction of what you're talking about. But probably you have a slightly different point on it, which is that the X-Men exist on an axis of meta historical narrative yep. where it's like there are groups of people who are oppressed and these people are like looked down upon by society and they're victimized and uh, and 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 they're talented. They're, they're not spoken of as if they are special or talented or worth anything, but they really are. And so we want to celebrate what these people are good at. And, and by doing so, we also want to protect each other and kind of further this you know pluralistic idea, this idea that we're going to be accepted into society and we're going to contribute to society, uh, but also this notion that we as a group are special. Right. And then in this movie, that's problematized because it's it's it loses track of individual the in, sort of individual uh, subjective reality right like like professor there's a great moment early in the movie and I'll pause in just a moment because I know everybody wants a chance to talk I'm just overflowing with ideas about this movie there's there's a wonderful moment in the beginning of the movie uh, where where I really thought the movie still was going somewhere where professor X is talking to little Jean Grey little Jean Grey with L I apostrophe L played by Lil Girl. Um, and, and he said, and, and she, and the girl says special is just another word for, right? Cause he's like, oh, you're special. And she says, special is just another word for, and she trails off, right? Dot, dot, dot. And professor X jumps right in and goes weird, strange, right? But I think you're great. And, and I, what I would say is that the way I read that scene is that she wasn't going to say that being special means that she's weird or strange. She was going to say that being special makes her dangerous, Right. Um, or alone, right? That that it was because because the issue is that Professor X thinks that Jean Grey's problem is that she is a mutant, whereas Jean Grey's actual problem is that she killed her mom, right? And and so Professor X erases the memory of the specific memory of her father rejecting her and giving her up for adoption to this uh, children's school in in hatred of her to an extent, right? Like she's unsalvageable. She's unsavable. He erases this memory, which is related to the personal pain that she has, which is in 
intersectionally related to the fact that she is a mutant, but it is not essentially by a material dialectic related to a mutant depression narrative, right? Like there's Jean Grey's problem is not that she's oppressed as a mutant. Her problem is that she has this horrible traumatic experience that she went through. And and so but Professor X overwrites Jean Grey's problems with his metahistorical, right? His his sort of historiographical problems, his his uh, you know sort of uh, cultural progress problems, which you know you could say they're still legitimate, but they aren't what Jean Grey is really experiencing, and they create this psychological problem within Jean Grey, which someone of Professor X's you know uh, proclivities might refer to as a false consciousness, right? Oh, you only think this is about your own personal narrative and your own personal actualization because you've been indoctrinated by capitalist society to think that you as an individual have this sort of hero's journey and you're special. But really what you need to recognize is you're part of the mutant class, right? And and the mutant class narrative is the narrative that matters for your life. And psychologically, that doesn't work for Jean Grey, right? Because she has this deep-seated trauma with her parents and she killed her mom, right? And by accident, but she killed her mom in an act of like anger, right? Um, with unintended consequences. And, and so then, like- You know, and then to, yeah. cap it all, to cap it all off, right? They name mm-hmm. the, they, they rename the school. At the end. Yes. Right? Which uh, is a fa- which is a slap in the face, right? Yeah. Like such a slap in the face. Well, it's uh, – uh, yeah, because they rename it from the, the Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters to the uh, Jean Grey School for Gifted Youngsters. Yeah. And what gifted youngster would want to discover that all this time they'd been going to the university – of Phoenix. Thank you, LD. Oh. <laughs> it probably doesn't. Wow, RKO out of nowhere. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you. I will be here uh, all night. Tip your waitress. Try the veal. Um, <laughs> try the veal. It was heavily traumatized before. <laughs> Oh, oh, as a child, yeah, indeed. Oh, all oh. Bill has suffered a terrible child trauma. Um, the okay, so like Pete, this this is why. May, may I may I jump in? Oh, by all means, uh, I'm done. I'm so, spent for now. Like this, this is to me. I I think that that sort of personal uh, personal trauma movies are good, like DC cinematic universe. Movies, you know, are good Justice League movies, but like um, that they're not good Marvel movies, uh, right? Because the the whole thing, the whole like DNA of the X Men movie franchise is about, you know, is about the Holocaust and it's about the the mutants as a as a persecuted class, and um, and then also about like the the appropriate response to that about sort of like plural the the limits of democracy and pluralism like uh, do we choose do we choose in- integration or do we choose um, do we sort of choose segregation because like it's the uh, it's the best we can hope for, given the kind of the the diversity of, um, you know, the diversity of abilities or the kind of the diversity of viewpoints, right? Like, and and it while sort of skating in the direction of or kind of hinting at uh, a number of the things that you've said, it really the this movie really drops them all, drops the ball on all of these things in favor of a plot about uh, a bunch of groots like coming coming to to steal the nexus from from Star Trek Generations right and like right. then it ends up it ends up being a space battle uh about like and no one is asking hey can we integrate the aliens into our society you know here 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 are people no i'm serious like here here are oh, yeah. that's a really good point that's a really good point cuz you have these you have this like strange outcast minority right. who shows up on earth and what does magneto do like, by the way but refugee, pick up, like 30 ar15s and just fire at them at close range yeah <laughs> refugees they're like their their planet was their planet was destroyed you know um like the <laughs> their planet like everyone uh like they they the nexus came for them and everyone bought up all the toilet paper and their planet was destroyed and it was really uh it was really tough and and here they are looking for um you know looking for sort of refuge on refuge on earth uh and like yeah it's like why 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 should they be there's no particular reason that they should be villainous but but 
But set that aside, it doesn't any of the discourses. I, I'm not sure that I mean, and like I'm not a, a big X Men comics uh, person, so you're gonna have to someone's gonna have to school me on whether there's room to engage these discourses in the comics, but at least in the, the films, like including, you know, first class and days of future past and, and all those, like, um, at least in the films, they, they really are about like class struggle. They're really about sort of political questions and like, you know, we're the future Charles, not them. And it, you know, it's, it's a very good bit of metacasting that, uh, professor X is captain Picard, right? Because like the, the observation I have after in a weekend watching this movie and watching all of star Trek Picard, uh, signing up for my week long free trial of, uh, CBS all access and, uh, watching Picard, in in sort of two two goes um is that uh picard is uh, uh star trek picard is a better x-men movie than this x-men movie uh because you know star trek picard is about whether our pluralistic society can withstand artificial life forms um including you know including the borg and is about sort of how uh, you know, dis- how despised uh, classes, how despised others are, are you know, created with, uh, what are they called? Synths, which is not a Star Trek word, but... Um, no, it's a fallout word. Yeah. Yeah. But it, right, exactly. But it's not a Star Trek... It should be longer and more techno-babbly. Um, <laughs> right. It's more like, synths is like a Joss Whedon sci-fi word. It's not yeah. a... Um, yeah, it's not a Star Trek word, but but anyway, like can can we do this and this? So you know, you have the you know you have the sort of the the other class and like that. There's no the uh, Xavier and Magneto don't represent sort of other like uh, philosophically distinct you know, sides of this, right? Like there's no point at which Magneto is like, you know, it should be, it's actually more Jennifer Lawrence. Who's it's more Katniss from the hunger games. Who's, who's sort of like, you can't volunteer these children as tribute. Like it's like, uh, you know, or like you can't sort of reach into her brain and, and sort of, uh, mess around with the, the things that are in there. Um, the, it, it, that should be, there should be a way for, um, for Magneto to be on, on the other side of that, for him to represent, you know, some sort of a opposing force. And like the, the kind of the philosophical discourses or the kind of the political discourses where X-Men live are maybe gestured at, like, I actually wasn't convinced Pete until you, until I heard your account. And yes, I, I, I will grant you that they're gestured at, but not really cash out or not really like, engaged with in an important way in the movie. So so to me that's like that's not an X-Men movie because it doesn't it doesn't do the things that an that an X-Men movie should do, which is mm-hmm. like sort of manipulate us with uh um uh, you know by god winning itself and uh also like consider the the problems of like uh diversity in a, in a pluralistic society and diversity of ability not yeah. just sort of like uh, diversity in not just benettonian diversity united colors of benetton uh diversity diversity of of uh of ability and so yeah it's a uh it's a space um it's a space alien movie. It's a- yeah. I mean, the the scene. So I would say that this isn't necessarily a movie where they come up with these really grand ideas and then they just sort of peter out and don't care. I feel like this is a movie where there are like massive just flubs. Like like the equivalent of sports bloopers, where it's, where it's just like you're going in a particular direction, and then just something happens, and it's like why, right? Like what is going on? Um, and and that and it undermines a lot of what you're talking about. So for example, right, this is a movie about a traumatized person from a persecuted minority trying to actualize herself in some way. And she's the protagonist, and there is a scene in this movie where she humiliates a handicapped man by puppeting him up a set of stairs, walking in a, like, grotesque uh, horror movie sort of – 
awful imitation of like human walking. Right. And, and like so and there's this really gruesome and terrible and sad scene where in order to humiliate Professor X, Jean Grey pulls him up out of his chair and drags him like a rag doll up yeah. the stairs. Sort of to force, force, dra- yeah, to walk. force, force drags right. him, you know, like yeah. uh, like Darth Vader. Yeah, and this was the moment where my wife turned to me and said, well, is, uh, I can't imagine why people didn't like this movie. <laughs> right? Like, like why, why would you not want to watch this? Right? Like, why, why is this scene that belongs in, you know, uh, in Split, right, taking place in this, in this X-Men movie? Uh, and I mean, and I mean, her point, right, is, well, you say that anything is possible. How about you walk? That's not possible. Oh, wait, I'll make it possible. Okay, what's why? What have you just met? You just you just proved the point that you said you couldn't prove, which was like he could walk if you helped him, which is what he was trying to do for you metaphorically. But now you're like doing this really awkward and and really it's just hugely ableist, right? It's like that's the real the dagger of it is that it's just like it really undermines to be like you know parading around and humiliating people who can't walk is like very counter to the notion of what the X Men are supposed to be about. I mean, the biggest moment for this for me. And and really, to me, that screamed out to me as like, what are you doing, right? What are you doing? Is that the scene in the Parisian cafe at the end of the movie, uh-huh. right? Like, like, okay, it, it is it is painstakingly recreated. You can practically tell what arrondissement they are in, right? You can locate the Eiffel Tower. I think it's the fourth, maybe the fifth. I'm not sure. He is in a lovely corner Parisian cafe. Everything is meticulously set up, meticulously set up. But of course, those of us who have been to Parisian cafes know how it is set up. And when we look at the cafe, it is set up the right way, which is Matt. You know how they set up a Parisian cafe, right? I, like, which which direction do you sit when you are sitting? At a table at a Parisian cafe on a sidewalk. Oh yeah, without face- like a, a a guide between you and like the street. Yeah, you face out towards the street. Yes, you sit next to each other and yeah. you face out at the street. And the reason you do this is that Parisian cafes are traditionally people's homes and they don't like to turn tables. They serve every table only once at every meal is the tradition. And as such, they want to pack the sidewalk tables really, really tight. And there's not enough room to get everybody through if everybody sits facing each other. Everybody in this Parisian cafe is sitting, you know, facing the street except for Professor X for no reason, who is sitting 90 degrees rotated from everybody else. And then Magneto shows up and he sits across the table, also totally against the grain for everybody else. And Magneto has brought a chess set. Are we to believe that Professor X knew that Magneto was bringing a chess set and that's why he decided to set up sitting the wrong way at the counter at the thing, right? But it's like, it stands, it's sort of like, I know it doesn't matter, right? But it's like, you went to all this trouble to painstakingly recreate a Parisian cafe from 1992, right? Or I guess in 93 at this point, I don't even know. When's Christmas? It doesn't happen in this movie. Um, and then and then you have them sit the wrong way, <laughs> right? Like, 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 why? Like, why are you having them sit the wrong way? And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, well, why are you have, why did you put, I mean, we all know why Jennifer Lawrence dies halfway through this movie. It's because she couldn't be bothered, right? It's like, I signed a contract to be in this movie at one point. Nobody really wants me to be here. I don't want to be here. They don't want me here. Uh, they're having to shoehorn me in every movie to make it worth my time. I mean, it probably is for the best if they killed off my character, right? And she just gets, like, casually impaled by her friend. Uh, and it, it's just, it's just the, there's, these, there's these bonkers moments where it's like, I, I question, the, where the attention to detail in the whole rest of the movie is totally like undermined. I mean, another very silly one. It's very silly. But when Magneto pulls the subway train up out of the ground, right? He pulls the subway train up out of the ground and he he wipes the floor with all of the people who are fighting outside of this uh, fancy townhouse where they're all trying to go, where the aliens are inside with Jean Grey. No one has figured out that the aliens even exist yet. They're going after Jean Grey. They know she's in a townhouse. Nobody has questioned why she's in this random townhouse, right? Magneto... Not only he does this whole I'll be back thing and he rams, he walks into the townhouse and he has the train come up behind him, destroying the entrance to the townhouse, right? In order to make a grand gesture. What's the point of this? I don't know. You would think he would want to put the train in first to knock anybody down or make an entrance. Instead, he vent- he decides to just drag the train behind him so he makes an entrance. And right when he stands on the threshold, there is a giant piece of plaster and and presumably stucco or concrete that is connected to the ceiling that probably weighs about 120 pounds that falls and lands like a foot to the right of Magneto. 
<laughs> and, and I'm thinking there being like, he would have died. Like, like if he had been standing like six inches to the right, he could not have possibly predicted what piece of plaster bringing a train into a freaking building was going to like knock down. Dislodge. Right. Yeah. You dislodge. Right. And it, and it's just like and it's, there's this, this moment where it's like we're going to make it look really dramatic by having all this rubble fall right next to Magneto. And it's like he can't control that stuff. It's not metal. Right. Like that would have killed him. Why did he pull the train? Into the, why did he want to knock down a building with a train that he was already walking into? Like, what is he trying to accomplish? And I'm just like pulling my hair out. Uh, and I maybe I mean, again, I, you said I watched this movie for four hours. That is correct. I will explain why. I sat down to watch it last night, and I uh, had my Nintendo Switch with me, and I figured that this movie was going to be bad, so I would multitask and pick up the broad strokes. And so I was playing The Witcher 3, and about an hour and 45 minutes in the movie, I realized I had watched none of it. It had all been playing right in front of me on an iPad, and I had gathered none of the details. Uh, and, and I had just been playing The Witcher 3 because it had not been pulling my attention from the video game at all. Uh, and I also realized that it's really complicated, and it's not really the kind of movie that you can multitask. So I watched it again today with my wife, uh, who had a lot of comments about it um, in particular. Uh, and most of them also involved not remembering that X-Men Apocalypse was a movie that happened, which I think is a lot of uh, sentiment shared by a lot of people. Sorry, I, I, I keep going off on this thing. But Mark, uh, Mark, what are, you, what are you thinking about all this? So about, I'm, I'm uh, thinking about um, – well, just to address something uh, that was mentioned earlier about the, the, the Charles – and uh, Magneto conflict and how it's not really played out uh, <clears throat> in this movie. That's mostly correct, right? You know, like uh, what the hallmark of the X-Men movies in in that uh, particular dynamic is that Charles is the more MLK type of person and um, and Magneto is more the Malcolm X, right? Uh, you know, um, uh, right, right. you know, <clears throat> yeah. uh, uh, integrate with the society, you know, take the high road versus like revenge, revenge, revenge. Um, and so, I mean, that is played out in crude terms, you know, in that particular in the townhouse battle. Right, Magneto is full of rage because uh, <clears throat> because uh, D- Dark Phoenix killed Raven uh, and wants to kill Phoenix. Uh, right. And then Charles is like, no, mercy, mercy, you know, uh, take the high road, all that kind of stuff. And it, it, it is at least like aligned with that. Right. Um, right. But it, it it all starts to fall apart when the fact that, like, you know, that um, the real enemy is the aliens. Right. And I right. guess they, they, they figure that out eventually. Oh, they're not mutants, they're aliens. And uh, and the, I guess the, the, the by the end, they just kind of sloppily evolve, I guess, like all, literally on the train, like as the train <laughs> is going, they're like, OK, I guess we're on this together. The real enemy is the aliens. Um, and then also the humans are like, oh, we shouldn't be capturing these mutants. Uh, the real enemy is the aliens. Uh, the humans are, are quickly incapacitated and the mutants all band together. Uh, to fight the aliens and ultimately Dark Phoenix saves them as well. And I, I guess what we're all saying here is right, like none of that, none of that is of a piece with all the broader conflicts that we saw played out, and particularly in, in effective ways with Days of Future Past, about like you know really addressing those conflicts head on. So I guess a question that, to turn all that around to the group here is that, like, if you're going to have aliens in an X Men movie, is there a way to do it? where they are the antagonists in a way that is uh, revealing and, uh, of all these different conflicts and compatible with everything we've seen before? Or is it like this sort of thing where you have a cosmic turn and then it just like makes all of the uh, mutant human conflict irrelevant? Yes, sure. I mean, I'll tell you the movie that I wish that I was watching while I was watching yes, this movie. Yes, please, please. Because it popped into my head about halfway through. So so the the... X-Men, the Nuevo Fox X-Men movies have been at their best, I think, when they have embraced being stylistic period pieces in much the same way that the um, that the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies really benefited from embracing the 60s mod styling of the original Star Trek TV show and kind of reinventing right. it. Right? Yeah, so basically, or, or Wonder Woman, class, I mean, the Wonder yeah. Woman in 80s movie that is slated to come out, though, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. Right. Like, uh, right. So, so like, first class, Days of Future Past are the only good ones then. Because well, first class feels like a sort of early 60s James Bondy kind of thing. And then Days of Future Past is the late 60s, the times there are a change in kind of watchmanish vibe. Right. And then Apocalypse did not succeed in being an 80s movie at all. Uh, and that was one of the big problems with it. But for me, I'm thinking, OK, you made a 90s movie with aliens in it. And there's so much great 
stuff that you can do for a 90s alien movie. And I mean, the the other thing is the shadow of Captain Marvel hangs over this whole movie because pretty clearly they were making the same movie as Captain Marvel. And then they felt the anxiety of it and they decided to make a bunch of changes and try to make it different from Captain Marvel. And instead they just made it so it makes no sense. But here's what I was thinking. The movie that I wanted to see, okay, 90s cultural period piece with aliens in it where you have mutants and aliens who are trying to stalk each other in secret, you know, uh, after a sort of secret force that nobody fully understands. I want to see it X-Men. I want to see it X-Files style. I want to see the X-Men X-Files where, you know, maybe like Magneto has joined a cabal like run by the government that knows that the aliens exist and is trying to like leverage their technology because they're superior to people in order to like empower himself. Right. And like Xavier doesn't know that the aliens exist and he doesn't believe that they're real. But the X-Men are kind of figuring it out. And some of them are skeptical and some of them are really into it. And you have this sort of conspiracy instead of the when the government shows up in this movie, it's the government of Black Hawk Down. It's the government of the L.A. riots. Right. It's like the 90s, uh, the militarized 90s. Um, and and I think what would have fit the movie better would have been the the smoking man, right? It would have been the I want to believe. It would have been the sort of deep state 90s, right? Which is this notion that like um, – you know, the, the the 90s that drives the anxiety. I mean, again, there's a bunch of this of it that's still kicking around now in both of these uh, avenues. Right. Um, if you wanted to make the police the enemy in this movie to the degree that you sort of did, I think you needed to tap the L.A. riots harder. I think there needed you needed to recognize recognize the sort of can't we all just get along moment right you needed to like have some sort of general feel of rodney king and all this in order for it to feel 90s or you know you go Mulder and scully with it which is what i wanted to see and have a sort of like if like they reveal to us at the beginning of the movie that it's aliens right oh it's aliens they're coming to get you it's it's bougie aliens right bougie dinner party aliens are coming to get you and and the characters don't figure this out like pretty much ever <laughs> and and uh and like even at the end of the movie i'm not convinced that any of them really understand what's happened except for the people who heard uh you know jessica chastain's villain monologue and but if it was a surprise to the characters why can't it be a surprise to us like why does that have to be given away up front Right. Why not have it be sneakier and sure. kind of more suspect? Right. Yeah, you, and you that way to see, yeah. you wanted to see X-Files and instead they gave you Independence Day. Well, I mean, they tried. They didn't even give you it. I mean, they could have <laughs> given us Independence Day, too. They could have given us because the story of Independence Day, which is also the story of Mars Attacks, is like the, the Clinton as president 90s, where it's like, do we still have in our sort of uh, more pluralistic, more sort of men are allowed to be sensitive, women are allowed to be professional, we're blurring gender roles, we're being more inclusive in society to a little bit, like we're starting to believe that gay people might exist, right? Uh, there's this sense that that the sort of very, very strict uh, patriarchal militaristic subculture, not subculture, but cultural undercurrents of World War II have really like softened up, right? And the aliens attack, and the question is whether the softies who are in charge in the 80s and the 90s, right, are capable of uniting and facing down a, a foe. Basically, whether empathy and pluralism and cooperation can succeed in the face of an existential threat or whether it has to be a hierarchical relationship of like strong dudes yelling at weak everybody else. And that's how everything works. And so this is parodied in Mars Attacks, where Jack Nicholson is the, you know, kind of smarmy, uh, conflict averse president who is really proud to have a, a, a photo op with aliens who are about to murder him. And, and it's also in Independence Day. It's a it's a sort of hero's journey. It's a character arc where you start with the sort of naive coworker of Vivica A. Fox who wants to go up onto the roof and welcome the aliens, which is coming from a good place, but doesn't appreciate that there are kind of like. You know, and then it's like this is it's all it's all the Jack Nicholson monologue from a few good men. Right. Is what it all boils down to. We live in a society that has walls and those walls need to be uh, guarded by men with guns. Who's going to guard them? You. And the question of like, did you or does it still matter whether he ordered the code red or not? And of course, in a few good men, it does matter. You're not allowed to beat up 
the people at your school, right? You're not allowed to beat up your own your own soldiers, right? You're not allowed to order your soldiers to beat down somebody that you're personally responsible for. To an extent, this is a few good men movie pretending to be an X-Men movie amid all of the other things that it's doing. And like that, I think, is one dimension of the way that it could be 90s. And, and also about kind of what is 90s xenophobia like? And I would say that 90s xenophobia is like, itching for an excuse to, to pull out a gun, right? It's like itching for an excuse to go violent because the Soviet Union is just left and we've, we've just now finding out that like nobody's necessarily going to nuke us if we shoot someone. And so like we could really be the heroes. We could go into the Balkans, right? We, could, we can go into Iraq. We could be the world police. Uh, it's something that we could do as Americans and that temptation is there. And so I could say you could make an X-Men movie that has that kind of vibe to it also. Um, you could make it – but I was just saying that like I was thinking was if this is a movie about uh, groups that aren't included, then there should be more suspicion and less outright hostility um, because you know it's like you don't have to be outright hostile. You can, you can oppress them sufficiently just with kind of suspicion and marginalization with the teeth of the state behind it or the – and, and not everybody has to see it, right? It's just there's just so many different angles. I could keep peppering it with different ideas, but um, but there's just so many different things that this movie could have been, and uh, and it wasn't any of them. And yeah, instead, so, it was I mean, like, yeah, it is. It is funny, like the the it, yeah, it's God. It's so it's so interesting. Um, another take on that uh, that Mars attacks. Uh, independence day continuum of like can the you know can the soft men be hard you know like uh can, yeah. can you know can they uh get their train going uh can the x-men were? still be x but add women yeah. right like can you rename the x-men and they still are strong of course you could right but could you um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, uh, 1993 is when michael douglas started falling down yeah, yeah. You remember that movie, which which strikes me as as kind of epitomizing that thing of like we're just looking for an excuse to pull out a gun. You know, yeah. you're just lo- you're just looking for an excuse, and if you sort of scratch the surface, like if you sort of take away their, you know, if you cage them, if you take away their, you know, ability to like yell at everyone, the kind of the if yeah. you if you emasculate them, and like women can have women can divorce you and have no matter what you. You know, uh, can't like don't have to like uh, Betty Draper stay with you no matter you know what kind of hell you put them through and like um, you know can divorce you and you you have to like you know deal with their agency and respect them as equals and stuff like well you're gonna go on a violent rampage and shoot people all throughout yeah. all throughout uh, throughout Los Angeles. This is an interesting like this is an interesting uh, view as well right like the the um there there is kind of a sort of cycle of trauma and violence encoded in the idea of of x-men and and you know magneto thinking that his uh you know his sort of violence is justified by the the uh awful historical violence that was done to him and his his people i mean awful personal violence that you know was um part of a big world historical event like and this is an interesting an interesting movie because the the um the the idea that it's it's sort of trauma it's the sort of return of trauma that you can't maybe maybe mutant jean gray could have dealt with the power except that she was except that she killed her mom and and got her mind messed with Stri- strikes me as a as a very now concept like and it, mm. it would have been like at the time you know what kid people playing dungeons and dragons or or like satanists or something like that right like satanists playing dungeons and dragons and the we're the you know we're the source of the we're the source of the historical evil the idea that there's sort of a breakdown um there's a breakdown of the social order that the you know the military that that the cities are going to become militarized we're we're headed to robocop we're headed back into the warriors you know uh that that like gang violence in the inner city is a big thing that like crack is a thing that like you know that these are that these are the things that society society is sort of not um yeah. society is sort of not holding together and and yeah yeah well what i was going to say is like there are i feel like if you're talking about it from a 90s perspective as opposed to a today perspective 
the notion that your trauma well, first of all, it wouldn't necessarily be allowed to persist in the female sphere as much, right? Which is, which is, which by which I mean like expressing female identity, performing, you know, femininity as your identity, right? Is, but there are ideas of it. So, for example, like I could see a version of this movie where we start out with Jean Grey at home drawing pictures of mountaintops with her on top, with a lemon yellow sun and her arm raised in a V, and the dead laying in her pools of maroon below, as Professor Xavier didn't give attention to the fact that her daddy didn't care right and, uh, i mean i'm joking but uh but i'm i'm saying that you know queen jean gray the wicked ruled her world and she spoke in class today and she spoke in class today like the 90s narrative of this would be that 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 like it's entirely expected Right. This is the sort of the slow burn to Columbine is what's happening, which is like it's entirely expected that these children have these like embedded darknesses in them. But it's also expected that these things are being suppressed by society. Right. That like under the surface, the kids are really not all right. And it's because like the country at this point is very violent and it is a very scary place to be. And the parents are having a lot of problems dealing with it. Right. And a lot of the parents are kind of bailing out on their kids. And and this is a time I mean, you could argue also that today parents still haven't really figured out at all how how the sort of effective way. I mean, you could argue that there is no effective way for parents to raise kids when they're all working um, without some sort of like public or communal assistance for child care. Right. Like like the expense, the the reality of it. It is, is, is really rough and you don't know how to figure it out. But at this point in, in life, we're dealing with a generation of kids who are just left at home by themselves. Right. A lot of them. Uh, and I mean, of course, there are still many of them today. Uh, but this notion that the kids that the Gen X kids. Right. Are, have been kind of left alone with their demons and that there's going to be some sort of horrible reaping that's going to happen uh, is something that you I think is sort of speaking through a lot of the a lot of the culture, the sort of angry culture of that early 90s moment. Um, and of course, it's also heavily associated with the homeless, right? And the idea that the, the sort of the way the homeless are treated by everyone is this psychic wound, which is in everything from like even flow to Mr. Wendell, right? To this, this uh, to, to Mr. Jones, right? And this idea that like, that the kids out there are encountering the like gross neglect that the adults have for their neighbors. And they're encountering the like huge amount of violence that's happening on a casual basis that everybody is saying is okay, right? They're responding, even the white kids are responding to the fact that people don't know, don't show, and don't care what's going on in the hood, right? And then that's creating this huge amount of pain. And the idea that this pain or this trauma is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We all need to appreciate that she's dealing with trauma, right? That feels very modern. It also feels very much like an issue for grown people. Uh, You know, even with college students or older high school students, it's like this is a grown person who is kind of wrestling with their personal trauma and we need to respect them as an agent. But but for me, when I think about the 90s in this, I think – Okay, Jean Grey was really messed up as a kid and as a teenager, she is going to be angry. And she is going to be antisocial and she is going to be an inch away from blowing everybody's head off. But she's going to be holding it together with a smile because that's what she has to do, because that's what you have to do when you're a teenage girl at a prep school or, you know, yeah, post Heathers. Like, right. She's going to be on she's going to be on SSRIs. Right. Probably Prozac. Yeah. She's going to be, you know, yeah. uh, medicated until her her she becomes sort of docile, you know. Yeah. But the idea that this is sort of a manageable thing feels very of the moment because the vocabulary to speak of it in that way feels very current uh, and did not doesn't feel period appropriate. Uh, uh, but, uh, but of course, I was a kid then. So what do I know? I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I want to take a little bit of a tangent since we yeah. talked about music and, and period and, and we've skirted around it a little bit. Um, but we have to address, at least for a hot second, um, the, the, the party in the woods. And celebrating the successful <laughs> space mission, and was that the uh, from the Orville, the woman for the Orville, rather the actress. I don't, um, I, don't I didn't recognize her, but uh, okay. correct me if I'm wrong, but she was singing like a a, a current contemporary EDM pop style <laughs> of a song, was she not? And what she really should have been doing is uh, angsty '90s grunge. Or perhaps some gangster rap as well. No, she would have been listening to Paula Abdul just like everybody else. 
<laughs> no, no, no. You're you're probably right. You're probably. I do I do like to point out that like the 80s weren't the 80s and the 90s weren't the 90s and there was music that was more popular than the stuff that we think of as influential. But no, you're right. It's uh I mean, well, what would you have been? It's 1992. Top songs of 1992. Uh, what were the hits? Let me guess. Mariah Carey was Hero in 1992? Oh. Huh. Or am I, yeah. I late? Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. Uh, that end be of great? the Road by Boys to Men. Uh, Baby Got one. Back. Oh, man. Uh, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. That would have been a great one to be playing right there. Okay, so here's I'm going to post this uh, this I'm going to post the year end billboard hot 100 sing- singles of 1982 into the chat here, guys. And I want you to look at it and pick the most thematic and uh, thematically appropriate song for the bizarre dance break in the middle of the first act of X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, is it Achy Breaky Heart? Oh, by you Billy stole Ray mine, Harris? Pete. You stole mine. Uh, it's, a, it's about trauma. It's, <laughs> it's true. Don't tell my heart, my achy breaky heart. The Phoenix will burn you all to ashes. Bohemian, um, Bohemian Rhapsody was on the charts because of uh, because of Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah. What about That's What Love Is For To Help Us Through It by Amy Grant, right? When oh. a man <laughs> loves a woman. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Life is a Highway by Tom Cochrane is When an nice- X-Man loves an X-Woman. <laughs> uh, smells like or it could have been Black and White by Michael Jackson, although it would, you wouldn't have wanted to have a white girl in a white dress singing it uh, or dancing to it. But if everybody was doing a dance to Black or White in an X-Men movie, I think that that might work. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it smells I mean, like, Mark, teen, what do you smells like teen spirit? Like, yeah, yeah. Would, you know, what would have been really fun, but not period appropriate at all. is like one of these, um, uh, the, the way that Star Trek Picard includes a, uh, like a, a trip hop cover of blue skies. Like this would have been like a trip hop cover of smells like teen spirit, yeah. uh, would have yeah. been really appropriate now. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I would have loved to have uh, somehow integrated it in the, uh, the, the the assassinations of Biggie and Tupac into the story. Some the timing isn't quite right, but like oh, you know, be, you know, you know how uh, in X Men First Class, right? They talk about how JFK was a mutant uh, and that Magneto tried to tried to save him and that sort of thing. Um, that uh, was one of many missed opportunities in this movie. Yeah. Oh man, that I mean, that's a little bit. People are still too upset about that to work. But how amazing would it have been if like? two of the aliens from opposite alien factions were like chasing down the Phoenix force. And like one of them was led by Biggie and one was led by Tupac. That, I mean, it, that, that would be entirely inappropriate, but you know, I get chills from thinking about the, uh, the like, you know, uh, parental advisory uh, comic book that could be possibly have been or zine that you could have made to those ideas. Oh, How man, about man. Um, uh, Ain't yeah. You Proud to Beg, TLC? You know, for uh, the- Humping Around by Bobby Brown. There, There's a more period appropriate song. Is this the only <laughs> 90s movie with no 90s music in it? Is there any 90s music? I don't even remember if there's any music in this movie that was period appropriate. Um, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Yeah, that's a real banger. Uh, anyway, anyway, the, the, um, un, the unplugged version, right? The the version that right. was on the MTV Unplugged special. Um, yeah, you know, it's so it's so funny. I I have been listening. I've been watching uh, a Hulu show with um, Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon called Little Fires Everywhere. That is also set in the '90s, and uh, I heard a Counting Crows song on it and i was like and uh, you know i had such a i realized i had aged into like an elderly demographic because i had such a burst of of nostalgia like nostalgia qua nostalgia not like a, a meta meta nostalgia like not a recognition of like oh i see this is like this is here as a like as a marketing employer this is like uh, where i just like i had this uncontrollable feeling of of like identification you know and that uh uh that that was more more 90s music than we really got in in x-men dark phoenix and it's possible that it's there and it just made no impact i will say the movie had a great downton abbey moment and it did the thing that i love in action movies which is that it made a value statement and then it formed it, it built a bunch of the action sequences geometrically as symbolic of its value statement. But I think the problem is the value statement doesn't really make sense or they don't really know what it means. Um, 
Uh, do you guys know what I'm talking? Do you guys gather? I mean, my my sense my sense for the Downton Abbey moment for this movie uh, is when Professor X is talking to Beast about sending their SR seventy one Blackbird into outer space, right? And it's like, wait, you put rocket boosters on it, it can't go into space. And Beast says that the engines were made for acceleration, not elevation, mm. right? And so and so there's this notion, this dichotomy that's presented. And it in is other, in other it, words, yeah. Pete, cars can't fly. Yeah, exactly. And this is a movie where a train flies. Yep. Right. Where a train is lifted up into the sky. Uh, I mean, it is also repeated. The the turning up of the volume on the radio is repeated many, many times by different characters who will talk about you have to amp it up or turn it up. Right. I have to I have to make it more intense. I'm feeling so much more intense. And there's this notion that Jean Grey is having this increased intensity of feeling. And there's this question of whether it is going to merely be an acceleration or whether it is going to become an elevation. Is she going to use it to transcend to some sort of higher level of relation to like her past, her identity, her future, her her family, everything. Right. Um, And the scenes that exemplify this are like. When she's fighting with Jessica Chastain at the end of the movie and and Jessica Chastain is like, you can't kill me. You'll kill all of them because Jean Grey realizes that they're all like in the blast radius of her Phoenix powers. And so she makes the mastermind strategic move of jumping and like going up. Right. And then once she's up, once she's higher, she can kill Jessica Chastain without killing her friends because she's at a safe distance. Right. And the other one, the other big one is when Jean Grey and Magneto are having the pretty cool helicopter battle where Jean Grey is trying to to destroy the helicopter and Magneto is trying to stabilize the helicopter and it's sort of like, is it going to go up or is it merely going to go more intense? Right. And Magneto is screaming and there isn't, there is an unironic get in the chopper in this movie, which um, I, I would have hoped that Mark would have derived some pleasure from, but I get the sense didn't really muster. Uh, but oh, I, uh, I noticed but, it. I noticed it. What was yeah. That? yeah. Yeah. But like, that's the sort of statement of purpose is like when things are getting ramped up, they need to go up. You need, you know, go high, right? But if you stay where you are and merely increase the intensity of what's going on and you don't progress, that can be a very destructive place to dwell. But that is just such a, like, it's it's a little bit too abstract for the situation or it's not fully embodied enough in what's going on, right? Like, how is it helpful for Phoenix to elevate herself? I mean, I guess, what, she dies and becomes Space Ghost, right? Um, or, or something, um, she, she, and, and like, that's supposed to be good, even though none of her friends know that she's still alive. They all think she's dead. And so like, that's also strange. So this sort of like transcendence of Jean Grey into the sort of higher state of, of adulthood. I mean, the, the way that it would actually work would be like, I am now capable of processing and healing from this trauma I experienced as a child because I have developed both the tools of sort of self self-reflection and self-relation and also of social relation that will help me cope with and, and, and understand and, and, and kind of build a safety of some sort around these like very, very violent feelings of pain. Right. And like, that would be kind of one way that she could make this sort of transcendence. Another way would be the political way where she's like, no, no, actually it does turn out that I do have, that's the Picard answer, right? Life is a right. Life is a responsibility. Uh, you know, life, life is a the being alive, puts upon you the responsibility to take care of other people who are alive and, and to recognize that their life is of value as much as yours. Um, and, and, but like, she doesn't come to that realization. Like what realization does she even come to in this movie? Right. It's like, it's like she wants to give, she decides that it's a solution to her problem to give the alien, the messed up alien thing that's making her feel terrible and cost her to murder her friend. That's an entirely reasonable course of action, right? Like, uh, in fact, most of this movie, the conflict does it is all predicated on the idea that no one in the movie is aware that Jean Grey is possessed by an alien, right? Like, every, if you take, if you actually had everybody in the movie know, by the way, Jean Grey is acting weird because she's possessed by an alien. Uh, if, if they all knew that, half the conversations are completely irrelevant, right? And it's it's like, you know, look what you did to her. You made her do this by suppressing her trauma as a child. Tra- no, he did didn't she's possessed by an alien that's why it's not that's why it's not an x-men movie to me right yeah yeah. that's that's kind of the the big problem big problem with it yeah it's like it's the star trek solution to an x-men problem (laughs) (laughs) 
Sort of. Oh I mean, man! It's funny. Also, Star- the movie. Yeah. Star Trek did it. Did it better? I mean, it just you know. I don't know. I watched. I watched Picard. You know. I, I the other answer to your question is that in the in the comic book Phoenix story, the aliens are a much more. Uh, they're not these like rando savages. There's this whole empire, the Shi'ar. They they're very highly developed, and and the and they are the kind of. Uh, it's it's more along the lines of like a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of feel. It's more of a Marvel cosmic feel where the X-Men are kind of thrust into this intergalactic opera that they don't know that they're part of. Uh. And and the aliens are alien because they are like exotic and beautiful and powerful and strange and not because they like look like trees or white walkers and like murder people at dinner parties and steal their bodies and like also their dry cleaning tickets. Right. It's like that's uh that's it's not it's 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 like the Shi'ar would have been very different and and uh, and it's still I don't think they've put Gladiator, who's one of my favorite X Men characters, into a movie. Maybe they have, and I've just missed it. Mm. But uh, Gladiator, the sort of guard of the Shi'ar, who is uh, whose power is based on his confidence, mm. um, is, is is a delight. And he has a bitchin' mohawk. Um, anyway, nice. anyway. Well, so uh, <laughs> like uh, it's it's been a pleasure to talk with you, folks, about this. Thank thank uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, and thank you for podcasting uh, with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about Tiger King next. No, it's uh, wait what? No, we're not. <laughs> No, we're all making sourdough starters. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We're all going to start doing like uh, like survivalist type of uh, type of stuff. Don't kill anyone at a dinner party. Just remember to keep social distancing. Uh, check in with us. Let us know how you're doing. A podcast at overthinkingit.com. I'm, uh, you know, we're we're when we beam the show out, we think and talk a little bit about the the uh, our listeners out there. You know going through uh what we're going through and and uh quarantine the way we're quarantined and watching streaming so uh if you see anything good on streaming uh podcast overthinking com. we might uh spend a future episode talking about it we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast thanks for listening until then visit us on the web at overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. Is there a movie out there that has more of a Wolverine-shaped hole in its heart than this movie has? Because I kept feeling like this movie ached for Wolverine to be present, and just every moment... There was just his absence was palpable. Can you think of another movie that's like that? Cats. <laughs> <laughs>